This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Back and forth and back and forth. I want to do good. I'm finding myself sinning. I don't want to sin, and but I'm not doing the good. All of this going on, it is the great battle of all believers, beloved. Every believer has that battle. Some see greater victory in the battle, but every believer has the battle. We look at this and we know that it's a battle of continued obedience. Pastor David will continue to teach us about the importance of living a bondage-free Christian life through God's grace. Before we came to Christ, we were not free to live for God. We had a different master, the devil. We're now under new ownership because Christ paid the price to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. It's not the keeping of the law that changes us. It's the love of Christ that changes us. It's the drawing to Christ where we are strengthened. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Romans chapter 7 verse 3 with our continuing study entitled Living in Graceland. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she would be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she is married to another man. Now you need to understand that Paul is not necessarily giving us a teaching on marriage. He's just using the reality of the marriage and the relationship and the law and the rule of marriage. He's using that as an illustration to, again, speak to us of the freedom that is ours, again, once the law is dead to us. We have this great freedom. When he speaks in verse 2 about the husband dying and then the wife is released from the law, he's using a Greek word, Katargeo, uh, and katargeo means to, to be rendered entirely useless. So when her husband dies, the law that was keeping her bound to her husband, that law is now completely useless. It's, it's null and void. There's nothing there. She is absolutely free. And that's what Paul is saying for you and I when we come to Christ, that the law that kept us bound has now been done away with because now we are in Christ. Now, beloved, you know, and if you've been with us for very long, I, we know that in that freedom, that is not freedom to sin. Paul has already covered that in several instances. Man, does that then free us to sin? He says, certainly not, absolutely not. He uses the illustration to show us our position to the law, once that passage of back in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, has taken place in our lives. And that, what he wrote in chapter 6, verse 6 says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, and that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. We're no longer bound by the law. Because we've died to the law. We're no longer citizens of bondage city. We should be living in Graceland. I'm not a citizen there anymore. I'm a citizen of Graceland. And yet for many believers, though our citizenship is now in grace, we're still living under bondage. In addition to the change of our citizenship or that marriage relationship, 
not only are we no longer bound to the law because we become dead to it, but we're now bound to Christ because we've been raised in that newness of life that the Word declares to us and speaks to us. And we're resurrected in Christ, and that's what brings us into that situation of being able to live in Graceland. He continues on in verse 4. He says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Our lives now need to be bearing a fruit that gives honor and glory to God. Not that kind of fruit that we looked at last week. He continues on in verse 5. He says, when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear that fruit to death. And what was that fruit to death? That was that nasty, spoiled, and rancid fruit. That fruit that no way in the world you would give to anyone. The kind of fruit that you would simply throw away. And when we were in the flesh, outside of Christ, that's the only way, the, the only fruit of our lives were given were that rancid, spoiled, rotten fruit. He goes on in verse 6, But now we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we are held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now, just as we had offspring in our previous marriage, if you continue the illustration, now in our new marriage relationship, we have new offspring. And that new offspring is that which is holiness and righteousness. And again, that fruit of holiness unto God. When the Word declares to us, in, Paul writes again in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he says, walk in the Spirit, that we would not obey the desires or the lusts of the flesh. The only way that even in this new relationship that the fruit of our lives is going to bear the offspring of holiness is when you and I are walking in the Spirit of God. Not in the flesh, not in trying to do and work in our flesh the works of God, but as we work and move and walk in the Spirit, God leads us into these fruits of righteousness. And that gets us to the second portion of our scripture, that personal aspect. How does it affect me personally? Paul comes to really the the other duh question. And remember in, in chapter 6 we looked at several of these duh questions. It's kind of like, what, that's a stupid question that you're asking. And here he brings it again. He kind of, he brings it to us with the idea that you know it's a negative answer. You know that he's working toward the, the negative understanding, but I believe that he's using it to kind of jar our attention. He says, what shall we say then? Is, is the law sin? Well, certainly not, he says. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. And suddenly it was there, it was made clear. Oh, that's what I'm doing in my life. He speaks about the fact that the law was necessary because with the law came the true knowledge of what sin is. The law was that spotlight that came on his life that showed all the imperfections. If we're continually in darkness, we don't see the imperfections. Another illustration you might use is that the law was like an x-ray. The x-ray was revealing what was there. The x-ray didn't make the problem. 
The x-ray reveals what's already there. And that's why God gave his law. As the law came and said, this is my law. This is my commandments. And man looked at that and said, there's, there's no way I can keep all of those. And God says, but this is my standard. This is my holy standard before you. And man failed continually. All you need to do is look in Acts chapter 15 and you see when the Gentiles became believers and they tried to make them become Jews in order to become fulfilled Christians. And the apostle says, look, we can't even keep the law. How in the world do we expect them to keep it also? No, the law was there to reveal our great need for a Savior. The law was there to reveal the reality of sin in our life and the desperateness of our life that we need someone, some way to pay the price that needs to be paid. Not only that, but the law worked against my very sinful nature. Sin, he says in verse 8, sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire for apart from the law, Sin was dead. And as much as we would like, a mirror cannot produce a change in our physical structure. We might wish and hope that it could. And it's kind of an interesting thing. I read it a couple of years ago. That when a woman looks in a mirror, now understand this, ladies and and men, you need to understand it. When a woman looks in a mirror, she sees herself worse than she really is. When a man looks in a mirror, he sees himself much better than he actually is. But the mirror can't change a thing. In reality, a mirror reflects the reality of who we are. I can't look at the mirror and say, change me, because I I want to be a lion rather than just a a kitten. Uh, The mirror is not going to do a thing for me. The mirror reflects who I really am. The law was the same way. It reflected. We saw it. And by keeping the law, it was no it was not changing the heart of man. People were keeping it on the outside, but on the inside there was no change that was going on. As a matter of fact, the law came to the sinful nature and it revealed even, even a worse extent of who we are. Paul, in essence, tells us that when the law says, don't touch, suddenly there, there arose in him this great desire to touch, and to, to come and find out, well, why can't I touch that? And if you don't believe that that's true, then you haven't been around any three or four or five-year-old children because you come to them and you say, don't touch that. And they'll come and, They'll wander all around it, and they'll look at it, they'll observe it, and the minute you go out of the room, they'll touch it. <laughs> Why? Because you said that, no, touch it. It was an interesting study, and perhaps some of you have seen it on the internet, about children with marshmallows. I, I loved it. You, you get these uh, uh, probably five, six-year-old children, and you put them in a room by themselves. There's a table in front of them, and you put a marshmallow in front of them. You say, now, don't eat this marshmallow. I'm going to be gone for a little while, and when I come back, if you haven't eaten that marshmallow, I'll give you another marshmallow, and then you can have both marshmallows. But while I'm gone, don't eat that marshmallow. And it's interesting, as you watch the video, some of the children will watch the adult, 
And as soon as they leave the room, the door is closed. They take the marshmallow and eat the whole thing. Some of them take and look at that marshmallow. They'll look at it on the table and they'll look all around it. They might even pick it up and smell it and then put it back down. Pick it back up and look all over it again. Smell it again. Put it back down. Some of them might come up. They would come and take and nibble just a little bit of it and then turn it around so that the adult wouldn't be able to see where they ate. And then one, I love, I believe it was a little girl, that as soon as the adult left, she took the marshmallow and put it way over on the edge of the table, got it out of her sight. That's how you and I ought to be with sin. But instead, too many times, we're sniffing it. We're just a little taste, just a little taste. You see, when the Word says don't touch, we're almost driven to touch. When the Word says don't walk on the grass, we want to, ooh, that must be nice grass. Let's try it out. When the word says wet paint, how many go up and say, oh, is it still wet? <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Paul says in verse 9, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. And for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Paul thought that he was alive as any good Pharisee would have. He felt he could keep the law in the flesh and comparing himself with others, he was doing an excellent job. As a matter of fact, he says, among my peers, man, I was, I was well advanced among my peers. And yet the law continued to reveal to him that he was a greater sinner than he thought was possible. And it was when he became born again that really he wrote those words, even in his later life. He says, man, I am the chief of all sinners. Because the closer he got to God, the more he realized the depravity of his own sinful nature. Beloved, for you and I, that needs to be the understanding. We need to understand the foolishness of our lives outside of Christ, but even still, the foolishness of our lives in Christ and walking in disobedience and not walking in love and in great passion toward him. Paul says in verse 12, he says, Therefore, the law is holy. So the law isn't sin and the law isn't bad. No, the law is holy. The law is, and the commandment is holy and just and good. And the purpose of the law was to lead us to Christ. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 and 25, he says, Therefore, the law was our tutor, our pedagogue, our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under that tutor, under that schoolmaster, under the law. The pedagogue, it's a, it's a Greek word, speaking of a, a slave that was put in charge of the young men of the upper class families. These pedagogues would come into the family and take the young children at six years old through about 16 years old. They would be with them throughout the day. They would take them to school. They would be with them at home. And into their lives, they would pour in character and manners as well as education. They were the schoolmasters. They were the teachers for them. They were the tutors until they finally came to that age that they did not need it. And Paul, again, as he's writing there in Galatians, he says, the law was like that for us. The law was our schoolmaster, our tutor. But what it was doing, it was bringing us to the point of Christ. And now that we've come to Christ, 
the law no longer has an effect in our life because we don't live by the letter of the law. We live by a passion and by a devotion to God and of just desiring to please Him. The third point in practical application. How does it really apply in my life? And again, we come to another duh question in verse 13. He says, has then what is good become death to me? No, certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. You need to understand that once again, not only could the law not change, but the law did not bring death. Sin did. And we look at the law that it simply showed him that you are dead. The law demonstrated and showed how far he was from the truth. The big argument that a lot of theologians have at this point in place in the Scripture is whether or not here in chapter 7, as Paul continues on, whether Paul was writing this of his life at that point in time, or whether he was writing it of a time in his life before he came to Christ. He talks about this spiritual battle that's going to be going on. And as we look at it, again, some say, well, this was before Paul, because surely Paul saved was not having this battle. Well, I love what Spurgeon says about this portion of Scripture, this battle that's going on in Paul's life. Spurgeon says that dead men don't wrestle. Understand what he says? Dead men don't wrestle. If we're dead in our trespasses and sin, I'm not wrestling with trying to please God in my life. If I'm dead in my trespasses and sin, I'm pleasing the flesh and the desires of the flesh and the world. It's only a person who has been born again that is going to have this battle. What Paul is doing right now as we begin in verse 15, he's setting the stage for really what he's going to reveal to us in chapter 8. I want you to listen to Paul's battle, this idea of breaking loose of that bondage that comes from bondage city, and see if it doesn't sound familiar to you in your life. We read in chapter in verse 15, he says, What I'm doing, I don't understand. And what I will to do, and that I do not practice. And what I hate, that's what I'm doing. And if then I do what I will not do, then I agree that the law is good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not do, that is what I'm practicing. Now if I'm doing what I will not do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then this law, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. How many believers are in the same situation? Back and forth, and back and forth. I want to do good. I'm finding myself sinning. I don't want to sin, and but I'm not doing the good. All of this going on, it is the great battle of all believers, beloved. Every believer has that battle. Some see greater victory in the battle, but every believer has the battle. We look at this and we know that it's a battle of continued obedience. But you need to understand that it's not obedience to the law, but it's obedience to the love of Christ. When Paul says here that, and this one thing we need to clear up real quick in uh, 
verse 20 where he says, Now if I do what I will not do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He is not splitting up the fact that, oh, in, in, in the flesh I can live any way that I want to as long as my spirit is living for the Lord. No, that's not what he's bringing into play here. He's talking about the reality of the fact that, no, it's flesh that's dragging me down, and we'll look at it in a moment. But you and I need to understand that it's not the keeping of the law that changes us. It's not the looking at the mirror that changes us. It is the love of Christ that changes us. It's my drawing closer to Christ that, again, I am strengthened. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, Paul writes, For the love of Christ compels us or constrains us because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer to themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. It's the love of Christ working in your life that is going to cause you to begin making the changes in your life that are going to move you into holiness, that are going to move you into righteousness. And what you and I need to do is fall in love with Jesus more and more and more. And let that be the demonstration of our lives. You know, I have a ring on my finger. It is a symbol to others that I'm married to my wife. It's also a reminder, again, of our commitment to one another. But you know what? It's not the ring on my hand that makes me remain faithful to my wife. It's my love for her that causes me to remain faithful to her. And in the same way in Christ. It's our love for him. It's our passion for him that's going to change our life. I'm drawn to obedience because of the love that Christ continually pours out on me. And that's why I want you to move into Graceland, to be able to live there, to experience all that God has for us there. Verse 22, he says, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. And only a man who's been born again by the Spirit of God can really make that claim. So no, this isn't a battle that Paul had before Christ. This is a battle that Paul was having even while he was in Christ. He finishes up verses 23 to 25. He says, But I see another law in my members that war against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul is not saying that it's okay for me in the flesh to serve sin because it's just my flesh, because I love God in my mind. That's not what he's saying. He's talking again about this battle. Man, my mind, I want to serve the Lord, but when, I, when, when the flesh takes control, I am in sin. When I'm listening to the flesh, I'm going to walk in sin because he continues on, and we'll look at it next week in chapter 8. He speaks about the fact that the man who is following after the Spirit of God who is seeking to be filled by the Spirit and looking for the things of the Spirit of God. He's the one who is gaining victory. 
She's the one who will see and experience the closeness of relationship with God. But the one who walks after the flesh, there is a division, there's a breaking of that fellowship. Even as believers, we don't have that closeness because we're dwelling in bondage city rather than living in grace land. God wants you to be living in grace land, and he's made available to you as we press into him. The very Spirit of God has made available to you. You've gained citizenship when you've come to Christ. Live in grace land. That is our inheritance. That is our citizenship. That's where you and I need to be living. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word, the teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from Pastor David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you.